Entertaining and informative radio for the Sunshine State. Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all swoped up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings <laughs> from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Ferruccio decided to indulge in his love of sports cars. Being a learned mechanic himself, Ferruccio was very critical of the cars he bought. Among them were two Alfa Romeos, two Maseratis, a Jaguar E-Type, a Mercedes-Benz, and of course several Ferraris. The Ferraris especially appealed to Ferruccio, but he found them to be needlessly noisy and thought they had a bare-bones interior. He was particularly exasperated by the peculiar tendency of the Ferraris to constantly have their clutch breakdown. After finally getting sick of all the repair bills, Ferruccio took the problematic car straight to Modena, where he personally confronted Enzo Ferrari about the clutches. According to Ferruccio, Enzo basically brushed him off and told him to stick to driving tractors. That's not terribly surprising coming from the man who fired most of his senior staff when they complained about his wife, but Ferruccio saw it as a challenge. He was well aware of the profits to be had in the Gran Turismo industry and so in 1963 the tractor tycoon established an automobile factory near Santa Gata. Thus, out of the primordial desire to show Enzo the middle finger, Ferruccio created Automobili Lamborghini. For the brand's emblem he chose a bull. After all, it was his own astrological sign and he also had a deep fascination for bullfighting. This rather fearsome creature proved to be a suitable representation of Lamborghini's company as it charged through milestones year after year. The first working Lamborghini, the GT350, was created in 1964 with the help of young engineer Paolo Stanzani. It incorporated some extremely impressive technology, including a V12 engine, 5-speed transmission, 4-wheel disc brakes and 4-wheel independent suspension. Creating the GT350 was not easy, and its prototype suffered from some serious design flaws that were made very apparent during its rushed entry into the 1963 auto show in Turin. The most notable issue was the fact that the engine itself would not even fit within the car's body panels. Ferruccio's solution was to fill the compartment with bricks and to keep the lid closed at all times. After all, the show was about looking at cars, not driving them. In the end, the GT350 was a technical masterpiece and it garnered praise from critics and customers alike. 1966 brought the 400 GT and the Miura P400. The Miura was especially notable for establishing the rear mid-engine layout as the standard for all high-performance cars of the era, a standard that is still in use today. It was originally developed as a street racing vehicle by a team of bold engineers headed by Marcello Gandini. They kept the project secret from Ferruccio since he was against building race cars due to his own racing incident in 1948. When Ferruccio learned of the new design, he was charmed enough not to scrap it, but he doubled down on his no racing policy. 1968 saw the Espada establish itself as one of Lamborghini's greatest classics, along with the Islero 400 GT. The company continued its successful streak, debuting celebrated models like the Kuntak LP500, the Uraco P250, and the Rama 400 GTS. Hey, this is Ron Caps, driver of the 300 mile per hour Napa Funny Car, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Set the way back machine. Yes, sir, Mr. Peabody. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com, where, if you've missed any of our past shows, you can go to our archive page and listen to all 397 shows. 
Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we got a great show for you tonight. And, and here's uh, Alan. And here's Alan. All right, we forgot the cue, but that's okay. <laughs> I heard I heard the cue earlier about yeah, Alan. six fifty-five. I heard it <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> but hey, that's why radio is so much fun because you know we could sit there and goof up and screw up. Now, what Alan and I are doing right now, and and uh, I, I, you know, it's funny because you know a lot of times Alan sits in with me and kind of helps co-host and stuff. We get the Jow Jack and then Gavin, and there's a website called bringatrailer.com. And uh, if you get a chance, check it out. It's uh, based out of San Francisco, California. It started out by a couple of car guys that were uh, internet guys in, uh, in Silicon Valley and stuff like that. But there's a car on here that we happen to be noticing, and it's uh, a Gia 6.4. I always acknowledge the cars as Gia's coupes, and Alan corrected me and said they're 6.4s. And obviously on here it says that it's 6.4, and it's one of 26 made. I thought they made 100 of them, but I was wrong. So anyway, Alan, you, you're you right on that one. But this is a pretty nice car. This car's in Switzerland. It's a sunroof car. It's got a beautiful nardy wheel. But if you look at the car, look at the patina on this car. You know, Now, I wish we had video here because then people could see what we see. And uh, the Ghia was just a really, really beautiful car. They were all handcrafted by Ghia of Italy, which was a, a carrosserie or a, uh, a coach builder. That's probably the right word for it, right? Coach yeah. builder. 50 and, cents uh, an hour back then for the panel beaters. Yeah. And um, the Ghia, they, in the late 60s, they had a car called the Dual Ghia, right? Um, that was late 50s. 50s? Late 57. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Dodge Fire era. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah it was, it was, was that a Virgil Excellent design car? No, they were Ghia, no, no, too. No, but was, Ghia, but That was like but, a... Oh, what's his name? Uh, the guy, Gia guy was Carol or something like that. Last name's Caroler. I, I, he, owned dual, he owned dual motors, which he sold these trucks with the engine on each end. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. So it was a dual Gia. You know, that was well, a, the dual is because it had dual headlights. That's apparently where the no, name No, no, dual is from the name of his company. Oh, really? Dual motors, yeah. Oh, so he built the Gias. Yeah, yeah, he had them built. And they had the Chrysler. Oh, I see. They were designed by Gia, and Dual built the cars. No, Gia built the cars. I mean, no. Gia yeah. built the bodies, but yeah. he built the cars. Well, not really because it's Chrysler drivetrain. He just did all the... Um, Assembly? Yeah, he just... All the Well, that's building. That's Assembly's it. building. So, yeah, you no, know. he just did all, did all the organizing. All right, all right. All right. The Let's... cars, they were here completed, okay? <laughs> all right. Okay. He was I, out of Detroit. I, I, you're right. All right. For example, okay. a, uh, a Pin and Farin car. Okay. Or a Carosa di Turin, okay. okay, you know, like the Super League era cars, like right. the Aston Martins or the Lamborghini 350 GTs or well, the Aston Maserati 34. Aston Martin hammered out their own bodies. Not at first. They were Super League era bodies originally. Yeah. And then because they wanted to keep control of the cost, that's why they sent them back to, to Aston Martin. And I know that for a fact because I did the research on that one. Okay, now. very so, good. So, so, now, I know ordinarily you can you can definitely, because you're, you're a, an avid reader and you're, you beat me on that. But anyway, so a lot of these coach builders back in the day built – these cars and they use different drive lines so is it fair to say that if if carrosseria de turin or bertone bertone or someone like that built the bodies because they right. were built the bodies then they right. were shipped back to the manufacturer in this case dual right which i did not know that was the name of the company by the way you funny because somewhere i was reading it they they called it a dual gear because of the dual headlights no because of dual motors Interesting. Okay, so yeah. you guys stand corrected. That's good. So you learn something every day. You just never know. It might not be important, but you learn it. You learn it. Okay. So, but the Gia, now what was the origin of this car, that, the, the, the 6.4? That was um, Gene Carolcia. I can't pronounce his last name. Right. But anyway, um, he wanted to do another car, and they came up with this, but the money was so... So this is the same guy that was involved with Dual? Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. It Gia 6.4. That was called Dual Gia. But now... The duel was established, so you just call it a Gia 6.4. There you go. Okay, and they use Chrysler drive lines. Yeah, and, yeah. It's a dual Gia. They had a shortened Chrysler um, frame. Okay. Used. And, of course, these cars were notorious because the Brat Pack or the Rat Pack yeah, or whatever Frank it was. Frank and Dean Sandy Frank had them. And, uh, yeah, yeah the, Lucy, the, Lucy Ball had one or husband yeah. had one. So it was a celebrity's yeah. car. Yeah. Now, were these special order or just built? You know, good question because they would build them, but back then it was like dealing with uh, Chinetti. Oh, I'm not going to sell you this car because uh, Dean Martin couldn't buy a dual Gia. They wouldn't sell one to him. Really? But, yeah. But then Frank said, hey, if I'm going to buy this, the number one, Gia, the Gia 6.4, you got to sell one to Dean. So they did. Oh, no kidding. Okay, yeah. good. Now, the reason we're talking about exotic cars, we've got an interesting show for you this evening, is, and uh, we have another guest coming in a little bit later who is another Italian car exotic expert. It's because it's two weekends ago we, had, uh, we just came off of uh, Amelia Island. 
And, uh, and Amelia Island is probably the foremost automotive event on the eastern seaboard, probably in the United States by all accounts, especially Amelia Island Concourse, which uh, we had Bill Warner on, who's the founder and, uh, and president of Amelia Island. But the, a couple, there was a number of Italian exotics there, and two cars in particular, which we're going to probably talk about a little bit, is the Lamborghini Mura, which Alan's a fan of, I'm a fan right. of, and the, the Periscope Countach. Right. And if you caught the... The clip at the beginning of the of the show it was about Ferruccio and how he how the car came to be because yeah, of his mirror, it, he had nothing to do with no, the no, no 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 oh, the original three fifty the original three fifty because yeah. he had an issue with Enzo and it was yeah. about clutches and stuff right, like that yeah, there's a art, there's a interview with him and he went into Enzo and said hey my clutch is no good he goes what do you know you drive tractor get out of here so they took the car apart and it had the same Borg and Beck clutch that his tractors did yep. And he fixed it, and then he said, on top of that, I'm just going to build a better car, which he did. Which he did, a lot better car. Now, it's interesting because when we get Mike Sheehan on, and this is going to be our guest a little bit later this afternoon, it'd be interesting to get his take on, because we have this debate all the time, what's better, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari? And I will say that the Ferrari has the legacy. Right. And I think Ferraris did very well in racing, which Ferruccio was opposed to racing. Do you know he, why? Did you? Because... He's not going to make. He's going to sell cars. You don't sell them when you're racing. You okay. sell them, you know, at the showroom, right? Alan, I got one up on you. I got okay. one up on you. Okay, so here's what happened. In fact, I I abbreviated the little story earlier, but apparently okay. he grew up during in 1916 is when he was born. Okay, uh-huh. and his parents were in the vineyard industry. Okay, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, we had the depression, all this other stuff going on. But he had a propensity for automobiles and mechanicals of course they had farms so they had tractors so he worked on tractors and that kind of honed his skills so fast forward um what he did is he built these tractors and became very successful what he did he started actually started out in the junk business so after the second world war he amassed all this junk and scrap and and created a little workshop and built tractors because there was demand for tractors and farming okay well he became very successful with more surplus engines i might add you're exactly right and so he wanted to race so one of the first events that he raced was the mille mille and he raced in a modified of all cars a fiat topolino and he (laughs) lost control of the car and crashed into a restaurant as the story goes Mm -hmm. so he says racing's not for me so he went back and focused on his business and stuff like that. But he still always loved, had a propensity and a love and a passion for exotic cars. So eventually he got, you know, a Mercedes, a BMW, a this or that, and then Jaguar and some other stuff, and a Ferrari. But the Ferrari of all the cars that he had, as the story goes, constantly broke down. Right. So that's when he had this little face-to-face with Mr. Enzo, who proceeded to tell him, just like you said, oh, yeah, what do you know? You build tractors, you know? And uh, plow a field. Yeah, right. And the rest is history. So Enzo decided to do that. Now, come the Mura, as the Mura story goes, and, and I should, we'll get Val, Valentino Balboni on the show again one of these days, but as the Mura story goes, that was a car that was supposedly built in secret by Gandini and a couple other guys. Yeah, Wallace was involved, of course. Uh, yeah, so it was outside the deal. So Actually, what, no, Gandini had nothing to do with it. He worked for Bertone. He designed the body after they got the rolling chassis going. Is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. At any rate, as, as, as that part of the story goes, when Ferruccio found out about it, he just said, okay, that's fine. They you guys can build it. on their own. Yeah, it was all. Seven guys did it for free. Yeah, yeah. and he said, you can build the car, but we're not racing, which is fine. So they built right. the Mura, which to this day is a milestone car, whether it's a 400. Yeah, it, was a revolu- it wasn't evolutionary, it was revolutionary. Well, th- think about it. I can't think of any other car that has a transverse-mounted 12-cylinder. I can. Th- Three minis. Three minis, okay. Mini Coopers. Yeah. Right, forgot about that. Okay, well, but but let's say any other Italian. So the right. Berlin and the Boxer, which is, you know, the close. Yeah, well, it's you know, a, it's that's a, a mid-engine. But it's a flat 12. It's a Boxer, right. Yeah. And, but it's not transverse mounted. Right. You know, it's got a transaxle, a ZF box or whatever. But the, to the but the, when it's you look at the yeah. Mura, you know, it's like it's sitting sideways. And it's almost as if you could just hang an axle on one end and an axle on the other end and just... It's yeah. almost like you look drive, drive. Rear mirror, you can see the carburetors. And you look at hey, what's a better sight than that? A bunch of Webers laying there. Six Webers, to be no, exact. No, no, four. There were three barrels. Oh, there were three barrels. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, it's funny. When I was looking at the other day, I was in a guy's shop the other day, and he had a car there, and it had it was a V8, but it had three. What kind of car was three it? It was called a Night Special. And what it was was one of those cars out of the fifties. Okay. Um, you probably know, and we got to get Jeff Hacker on the show one day. But there's yeah. a he's in, he's uh, got a um, uh, a group, an organization, a club, uh, a thing called Forgotten Fiberglass. Right. Yeah. And these are all cars. You know that. Keep in mind when 
when when military guys when soldiers came back wow we're 21 we're almost i think it's time for us to go flip to a uh a song here so we'll let you go play a song i think we got some hey little lamborghini Huh? Hey, little Lamborghini. Hey, little Lamborghini. <laughs> hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. We almost ran over our time, dear, but we're we're gonna we're gonna uh, entertain you with some uh, cool '60s, '70s music. So, hey, you don't touch it. We'll be right back. This is Nostalgic Radio Cars. What do I see? Lots of changing faces and lots of things to be. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Okay, we're back and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Alan? Now we got it. <laughs> Late but not lamented. <laughs> we finally got it. Okay. Uh, anyway, so what Forgotten Fiberglass was is back in the days. He started uh, out with um, the shark. 
the guy in St. Pete made them. That was his first fiberglass car, by the way. Yeah, so what they were is they just they could have been hand-fabricated chassis or they could have been some foreign car chassis. And what they did is they came up with something really sleek because they wanted it to look European because all the servicemen that came back, you know, they were really into the European cars. They were nimble. They were agile. They were, well, they were quick. They weren't necessarily fast. or No, they were quick and fast, but not necessarily powerful. Does that make sense? Okay. So because a lot of them were small bore cars. Matter of fact, there was a car that was at the um, – at the Amelia Island Concourse when it belongs to a local guy here, a friend of mine, Jan Hawk, and he's with HSR. And what it is, and you'd appreciate this, it was an MGT, MGTD that somebody put a flathead Ford in. But the way they did it, it was done very professionally, extremely tasteful, all nice fabrication, very, very neat. So whoever did it did it professionally. It wasn't like it was just all hacked together with slags of uh, weld hanging all over the place. But it was done very, very nice. And uh, that car's still available. So if you want to uh, find out a little bit more about that MGTD with the flathead Ford in it, give us a call here. Uh, or just go visit the website. Yeah, pretty much. That was it. But that was just kind of cool, old school hot rod. Anyway, um, time for the Florida Car Show Minute while we're talking about Florida car shows and stuff like that. Not a lot going on. Go check out the website. Find out where all the car shows are in the state of Florida. A lot of stuff going on in Orlando. But the big thing this weekend is the Sunnyland Boat Show in Tavares. Now, Tavares happens to be the seaplane capital of the world. Did you know that, Alan? No, I didn't. It's the seaplane capital of the world. Yes, but there's a big wooden boat show this weekend with a swap meet. And you know what the best part about the swap meet is? Every once in a while, there's some car stuff there. Even though it's a boat thing, you know, a lot of boats use car engines, right? So there's a lot of good stuff. You'll see uh, old vintage hydroplanes. You'll see skiffs. You'll see uh, wooden boats. You'll see uh, just some really neat stuff. So if you've got nothing else to do, trek up to Mount Dora and uh, Lake County because Lake County is really cool. And uh, it takes place right there on Lake Harris, Little Lake Harris. There's Big Lake Harris and Little Lake Harris. Big Lake Harris is so big, you can run an offshore boat from, from one end to the other end and probably run out of gas. That's how good it is. But uh, anyway, Alan, I think we're going to go ahead and get our guests on this line here pretty soon. And um, But is there any other comments you wanted to make about the dual Ghia or any of those other funky cars or the Lamborghini? I know you're a big fan of the, uh, the Periscope car, which was that right. was actually the that first the, edition of the Countach. That was the, the design of the Countach because when they – in 78 – Walter Wolf, the Canadian guy, said, hey, I want something with a little bit more power. So when they were still building the, the Periscope cars, he had these cars built with the flares and the spoilers and everything. But that sort of ruined the real pure design of the original one. Plus, okay. you got the Periscope anyway. The hat works with two mirrors and a trough in the roof. Blah, okay. Blah, blah. Yeah. Oh, one more thing real quick okay. what we could talk about is since I know you're not a big fan of autonomous cars, and I'm not a big fan of autonomous cars, much less electric cars. I'd just rather get run over by one. Yeah, especially when you're walking your bicycle, you know, and you're right, kind of crossing yeah. the trail. So they had someone a little... sitting at the wheel, too, so yeah, no so, one was on board on that one. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's pretty sad. Um, we're going to have Lauren Fix on in, in the future, and I right. know you're going to want to sit in on that one because right. we are. it's going to be beat-up Tesla and beat-up autonomous car segment show, yeah. and that's going to be yeah. a lot of fun. What's the point of autonomous car? Just have buses. Yeah, really. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and I was talking to, and we're going to have Bob Lutz on. Bob Lutz was telling us that all the major cities across the country, New York, uh, Chicago, San Francisco, Miami, and Atlanta, as an example, um, are planning by 2020 or 2022 or something like that, having all autonomous cars within the city limits. And the only way to get into town is to park your car outside, trolley yourself in town, get in some little autonomous vehicle that just buzzes around. So I can imagine all the chaos with all what these about autonomous cars. on Fifth Avenue? That's not going to work. I have no idea. Well, yeah, I tell that to uh, some of those guys up there on Wall Street, right? Right. The, Anyway, so go ahead. Let's fire up the turntable. So uh, all you guys, run your AM radios real quick in your cars and turn on your transistor radios. We got a little, uh, got a little Richie Blackmore here. How about uh, Man on the Silver Mountain? Hey, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with our special guest for the evening. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Latino Revolta Group, and uh, I love to listen to nostalgic radio and cars. What the hell is this? Agent Denham, that is a 1963 Ferrari 250 GT Lusso, owned and raced by the coolest cat who ever lived, Steve McQueen. This was his baby, and now it's my baby. You got Steve McQueen's car parked in your living room? And here I thought you were an ass. I paid a million for it 10 years ago. I wouldn't sell it for 10 times that. We're 65 stories up. How do we get out of here? You don't. This car was taken apart piece by piece and reassembled inside this room. Well, this car will eventually be sold at auction with the rest of your belongings. Only if I'm guilty, Agent Denham, which I'm not. Okay, we're back to tune into Nostalgic Radio Cards. Time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is, yes, let's just say a Ferrari expert. He's a historian, a racer, an automobile broker, and he's the uh, founder of FerrariOnline.com. Delighted to welcome to the show this evening my friend Mike Sheehan. Mike, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. How about you? Uh, well, we're just dodging uh, raindrops and hailstorms here in Florida today, so, and I'm sure you got great weather there in sunny California. Always. That's why we're here. It's not because of the taxes or Jerry Brown. <laughs> it's all those Ferraris that are stashed in garages back there, right? Oh, that that is part of it, yes. That is part of it. Okay, I got my friend Alan sitting here. Alan, say doing? hi to Mike. Hi, Mike. How you doing? So let's talk a little bit about, about you. He's good. Uh, Mike, let's talk a little bit about you. How would you get started in uh, Ferraris? Did I read right? Are you Canadian? Yeah, I was uh, born in Canada, grew up in Canada. In uh, 1969, uh, in February, I looked out the window, and the early morning snow was turning to sleet. And I remember saying to myself as I looked out, it was 8 o'clock and the sun wasn't up yet, and I remember looking out and saying, quote, what the bleep am I doing here? (laughs) And I literally went to the refrigerator, got a bag of apples. I was 18. Got a bag of apples, a change of clothes, had my brother drop me off on the Trans-Canada Highway, and here I am. Oh, so you thumbed down here? Yeah. Oh. When I got to when I got to the border, um, the U.S. border uh, agent said, "Where are you going?" And I said, "California." And he said, "Like hell you are." So I literally it was a very very rural uh, border crossing. It was about the size of a gas station in the middle of nowhere, and I literally um, walked back a quarter of a mile, walked through a Canadian dairy farm dodging cow pies, stepped over their fence into an American dairy farm, walked back to the main road, stuck my thumb out. I was about a quarter of a mile on the American side by then, stuck my thumb out, and here I am. No kidding. No kidding. Wow. Now, what part of Canada? Today, you you couldn't even begin to do that. (laughs) Are you sure about that? Oh, yeah. Border sensors. I mean, that little tiny border crossing where I crossed is now a, a, a truck crossing, and it's huge. It's you know, blocks and blocks of customs buildings. No, so are you from Western Canada, Central Canada, or Eastern Canada? Uh, born, I was born in Ontario and grew up in uh, British Columbia. Oh, okay. Oh, BC. Oh, that's nice. That's a pretty area up there. So you're north of Vancouver then? Yep. Okay. So how did your uh, propensity and your passion for uh, Ferraris uh, develop? I was going to uh, a college here, and I ran out of money. And I put a sign up in a student uh, bulletin board and started repairing student cars can you imagine anything poorer than repairing student cars because students have no money (laughs) and i fell into a deal i ran into a guy who was uh buying uh volkswagen buses from the german post office uh filling them full of porsche parts he had a uh, wrecking yard uh, specializing in old porsches need part them out put all the parts in the volkswagen buses and drive them uh, to the docks in frankfurt and then uh, they'd ship them over and then drive them uh, to Garden Grove here. And they had a back lot full of Volkswagen buses that they didn't want. So I made a deal to buy them. I started fixing them up, selling them to uh, hippies. Huh? Uh, did very well. Bought my first Ferrari, a 250 PF Coupe, serial number 1447 for 2000 bucks, And discovered there was nobody to work on it and ended up in the becoming the Ferrari business. I was my first customer and my second customer and my third customer. Oh, okay, like me, myself, and I. Yep. Something I, I did. Literally, I bought a, a PF Coupe. I followed that by a 212, 
and, and it, it sounds incredible now, but I found a 212 Cabriolet uh. in a garage in uh, Palos Verdes for $850. You know, they had a 212 uh. Cabriolet at uh, Goodings and Amelia on stage there. I think that was a 212 Cabriolet. That yeah, more or less the twin to the car I had. That was a different serial number, but basically the twin to the car I had. Uh, mine was serial number 125. I paid $850 for it, uh, got it running, uh, stuck it in the L.A. Times, and sold it for 4700 and said, I'm in the Ferrari business. This is too good to be true. <laughs> the guy that you were doing the Volkswagen stuff with, now correct me if I'm wrong, is this, was this that funny foreign guy that had that really amazing collection of weird stuff? I mean, there was like 300 or like, uh, S, I mean, just all kinds of bizarre cars in his no. uh, salvage. It was, a, it was a guy who had been in the U.S. military in Germany. Uh-huh. He had married, married a German woman. And uh, the German woman's brother owned the wrecking yard. So that was the, the relationship. Okay. And uh, you know, they were just a bunch of long haired hippies. But what they didn't, because he had lived in Germany, he didn't realize uh, how, at the time, hippies loved Volkswagen vans. They were the ultimate anti establishment vehicle. So I was buying one a week for 75 bucks and selling them for uh, three to 500 and thought I was, uh, you know, smartest richest guy in the world wow well it apparently paid off because that was what kind of got you started and uh so yep. when you look back wow now did you get into do you ever get into restorations and stuff like that or did you just stay with mechanicals I, and buying I and selling had, i had uh i actually um started in the repair and restoration business and uh i at one time had the biggest ferrari restoration shop in the u.s i had 30 employees oh which is a lot of brain damage. Um, The problem with the Ferrari business or any business is it's cyclical. And uh, the Ferrari business is always an an overextension of the economy. If the economy is good, the Ferrari business is wonderful. And if the economy tanks, the Ferrari business is non-existent. So um, after five recessions, I decided, you know, I really don't need... um, to have a $250,000 a month uh, overhead. And so now we just do sales. Okay, now tell us about Ferrari Online. Tell how that came to fruition and what all is Ferrari Online about? Well, what we do is uh, I started a database uh, in 1972. I'm one of those geeky guys that is fascinated by numbers. So I started tracking every Ferrari I was offered. And then, uh, you know, on... on um, <laughs> the little clip cards. Remember the little Rolodex cards? Oh, yeah, like we had in the library. Uh, so I, right. I started that that kind of file, and in 1985, we went on computer. So every person that's ever called and offered a Ferrari for sale or trying to buy or whatever, we entered the data in our database. So we have about 25,000 uh, potential clients in our database, and, uh, boy, I don't even know how many cars we have at least 25,000 cars. We have the serial number of um, every Ferrari built in the Enzo era. So essentially, we're an information exchange. Uh, Somebody wants to buy a Ferrari, they call us, we find it. Somebody wants to sell a Ferrari, you know, we know somebody who's looking for it. And it's all a a dealer network, too. There's a a bunch of dealers in the U.S. have been doing this for 40-plus years, and, of course, we know them all. Do you the right, this is another question that comes up when what is the what is considered to be the last Enzo Ferrari would it be 69 70 models what was still in the well, pipeline or when up until his time uh, of death what do you think the no the uh, essentially there's four different eras in the Ferrari world first you have the Enzo era Enzo started Ferrari in 1946 after World War II and built two cars in 46, 47, and they slowly increased. By the time he uh, essentially ran out of money and had to sell to Fiat in 1969, they'd gone from building two cars a year to about 1,000 cars a year. But in 1969, um, 1970, he basically ran out of money and sold out to Fiat. Additionally, uh, the smog laws were about to change. Ferrari was going to have to 
deal with U.S. smog laws and U.S. bumper laws, U.S. headlight uh, heights laws. So he knew he simply didn't have the money or the engineering staff to do it. So selling out to Fiat solved that. The problem is, or the good news is, the Dino, the Daytona, were already in early stages of production. They were built until 74. So the Enzo era is essentially 1946, 47 to 1974. Okay. In late 74, you have the Fiat era, and <laughs> those were the first cars that complied with or tried to comply with smog, bumpers, and headlights. And the first car was the 308 GT4, the Wedge, the Bertone-bodied 308 GT4. Uh, and if you remember, they had very, very ugly bumpers and, uh, you know, big, massive uh, rubber bumpers with steel bars embedded in them. And they had, um, they didn't have catalytic converters. They had um, thermal reactors. And the thermal reactors would get so hot that if you were to park in, you know, long grass, you'd set your car on fire. Mm. So... Uh, it was very difficult for Fiat or Porsche or anybody to comply with the new U.S. laws. You know, the government has a habit of writing laws and then telling people, okay, we wrote the law, you figure out how to, how to comply. So if you look at, for instance, American muscle cars, they went from being very, very fast to dead slow by 74 simply because of the SWAT laws. They were strangled. Um, the Fiat, Fiat era essentially goes from 1974 to about 1994, uh, when you get into the Montezemolo era. Those are the modern cars. Um, the first would be the 348, which was a failure, then the 355 and onwards. And then today, of course, you have the Marchione era, because Marchione uh, took over about two years ago and is doing a wonderful job. The cars today, um, now... You're probably, and I know Alan is, I, I have a hard time getting into any of the new cars at all as far as, I mean, getting interested in them. And they all look alike. They're very sterile looking. I mean, they're not, I don't think they're exciting. I mean, they're full of high tech. It's a completely different buyer. What do you think is going to happen in the next generation here? What's going to happen to the vintage cars? Is this new stuff and it's going to be kind of like they're going to be changing it all the time? Uh, do you think there's going to be a resurgence in the vintage Ferraris? What do you think is going to happen? When I started in business in 1972, I was a baby boomer. Uh, in 1972, I was 22, 23 years old. And my clients were my age. Uh, my clients were the young guy whose dad owned the plastics factory or the trucking company or the, the roofing company. And... Because they worked with Dad, because Dad was rich, Dad would give them money to buy a Ferrari. Um, and they were buying the used Ferraris from me, the Lusos, the Dinos, and so forth. And um, I have had that same client base for 45 years. I have literally been selling to the same people for 45 years. The problem is my client base is all 65 uh, to 75 years old. So when somebody calls today and wants to sell their Dino or boxer uh, i ask them their age and they always ask why and i tell them because i'm going to guess that you're 65 to 75 and you're selling you want to sell because you've had knee surgery hip surgery <laughs> prostate cancer your wife had breast cancer and you just are moving on and inevitably i'm right that's what's happening um the problem is that their kids and especially their grandkids don't care about their cars so we've had to shift what we do. We sell the old cars, but we also sell what we'll call the more modern classics. Uh, we just uh, last week sold a Tetsurosa to a, a young Vietnamese guy uh, who's in the clothing business. He has a $100 million a year business uh, selling clothes with holes in them. You know, the whole concept of selling clothes, pants with holes in them is pretty bizarre, but that's what he does. And um, he bought a Tetsurosa because he thinks that's an old car. When he came by to pick it up, we had a 250 Cabriolet sitting here, and he didn't have a clue what a 250 Cabriolet was. Uh, he had no interest in the car, no interest in sitting in it, driving it, listening to it. And when he told, was told that it was a million five, he had even less interest. Wow. We sold him a Tetsurosa for 100 grand. So if you're buying a Tetsurosa for 100 grand, you're not going to make the leap to a 
250 Cabriolet at 1.5. It's too big a leap. Another problem you have is, remember I told you my first Ferrari was a PF Coupe, yeah. trail number 1447? Mm -hmm. When I bought it for 2000 bucks, the median income in America was $8,000 a year. So for Joe Average, a carpenter, a mechanic, whatever, uh, if you were making 8000 bucks a year and you had three months' salary saved up, you could buy a 250 PF Coupe. That exact same car, serial number 1447, last sold at Gooding in 216 at uh, Monterey for 750000 The median income today is about $60,000 a year. So when I bought it in 72, it was three months' income. Today, it's about 12 years' income. Mind-blowing, isn't it? So who the hell can afford a 250 PF Coupe at $750,000? And if you drive one, to be honest, it's just a pretty awful old car. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just picked, I was just handed uh, earlier, and Al and I were just commenting on this, uh, on the lit, on the on the February edition of Hemmings. There's a 64 Ferrari 330 GT Series 1 car on there, I think. I'm presuming it is. Yeah. And Alan used to have, uh, the, he had a Series 1 interim car. Interim car. With a yeah. 5-speed in it. You're talking a 332 plus 2? Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh -huh. So I've driven those cars before, as well as the Queen Mother, and a lot of the cars through the 60s. I personally like to feel those cars. You're right. It's They're kind of like uh, heavy. heavy, primitive. Pondous. Knows, you know, they're not quick, they're slow, they're not agile, but they're just cool. You sit in the car and you appreciate it because it's a vintage Ferrari. You know, does it have quirks? Is it going to break? Is it going to maybe not run? Yeah, you know, but that's just the way it is. But I get what you're saying. And what concerns me is, like, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, and these cars are what, quarter of a million now? Something like that, 300,000? Yeah, but this brings up the subject of affordability. Yeah. A 250, we're going to deal in round numbers. A 250 PF Coupe. Does not, does not have any adjustment in the suspension. So they run zero caster, and they run positive camber, which really means they steer like wheelbarrows. They're, they're pretty awful. And they have a four-speed tranny, which really doesn't work. <laughs> um, you know, you, you, first is too tall and fourth is too short. Um, and they were, on a really, really good day, they were about 220 horsepower. They don't have valve guide seals, so they tend to smoke like, you know, steel mills. <laughs> when you when you cross 1965, mm -hmm. you suddenly go to valve guide seals. You go to a four-liter motor instead of a three-liter. You go to a four-speed with overdrive. You go to much improved, well, so slightly improved disc brakes. <laughs> they become a lot more friendly. So if you drove a 250 PF Coupe, which is a 1960 car, right. and then a 332 plus 2, which is a 1965 car, they're only five years apart. But they, one is a quantum leap in evolution, performance, handling, braking uh, from the other. And the PF Coupe at 750 is, well, it's a lot of money. Whereas the 330 at 250 is one third the price. And a queen mother is going to be well, less than that, say 200. So, and it's again another quantum leap in, in performance. For instance, the 332 plus two doesn't have AC. The queen mother does. The 332 plus two doesn't have power steering. The queen mother does. So Ferrari, about every five years, would make these quantum leaps in performance, evolution, handling, braking, and that's part of the mystique of Ferrari. Alan, do you have any questions for Mike? No, not really. He's pretty much informative for anything I was going to ask him, <laughs> yeah. so just keep on talking. I'm learning. You know, That's the, how it works. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, what do you tell a guy that wants to potentially buy a classic Ferrari, let's say someone like me who would be potentially in that type of a market, that era of cars, versus the guy that comes out and wants to buy the late model Testarossa or, you know, uh, a three. 28 or whatever the 80s kind of threw out there at him and 
And, uh, you know, and, and I really think that those cars, those 80s cars, those cars had issues. Now, when you get into the 90s, now you're talking about 348 was so-so, 355 so-so, and then you got into the 360s and the Marilellas and all that kind of, I think they started getting better in the late 90s, early 2000s and stuff. But the 80s, I think I can't think of any of those cars, foreign, well, except for German cars, that were really any good. I mean, that didn't have issues. Well, the first one that really worked was the Tetsurosa, mm-hmm. uh, which was introduced in 1985. Um, and it was obviously a screaming success by Ferrari standards. They sold over 6,000 of them. And, and you could actually, you know, wake up in Jacksonville, go out to your garage, hop in your Tetsurosa, and drive to Atlanta. And, you know, not be beat to death. The AC will work. The heater will work. The wipers will wipe. Everything will work. And if you... You know, you can't do it, but if you wanted to cruise at 120 miles an hour, you could do it. So the leap from 1980, a 308 GT4, to 1985, a Tetsurosa, is another of those quantum leaps. Okay. You know, a 1980 308 GT4 is a pretty awful car. But, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, an 85 Tetsurosa is very user-friendly. And here's the punchline. The 250 PF cab. Round number, 750,000. That's unobtainium for most of the world. 332 plus 2, 250,000. Hmm, you know, a third the price, but still an old car. Now you go to a Queen Mother at 200. Better car, and again, a cheaper price. Now you go to the Tetsurosa at 100 grand. Holy cow, you can get it in the Tetsurosa in where I live, Orange County, and drive to San Francisco tomorrow, and everything will work. And they're a hundred grand. So actually, those cars are are the modern, the more modern cars are, are really quite affordable, which is allowing us to make the switch to selling the new newer cars. They are a lot more affordable, um, and you know, user friendly. Oh. I also have to agree with you on the latest greatest cars, the Ford E8s, and the, you know, and that, and you know, those sort of cars. All the new cars will do two hundred miles an hour. Uh, all the new cars will put you in jail in, in third gear. <laughs> you got to know the governor. Six six. So um, they've reached the stage where it's like getting your pilot's license and then you know looking for a military surplus F-16. You're, 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 you're taking this quantum leap in performance that's essentially unusable. Um, you know, yes, your you know, 488 might do 200 miles an hour, but where would you ever do that? And would you ever want to do that? I mean, at 200 miles an hour, the car is, you know, almost flying. If the road curves, you have a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, and if you get stopped by the police, you are going to jail. So what bothers me about the, the latest, greatest, newest cars is they're just so fast and so sophisticated. Um, also, uh, Ferrari has a wonderful habit of... Um, when, when, here's an interesting story. If you bought an Enzo era car or if you bought a Fiat era car, uh, it was basically what color do you want? Okay, red. What interior do you want? Okay, tan. Thank you. Bye. But when Montezemolo took over in 1993-94, he realized that Ferrari could um, charge a lot more. I'll be very polite. He'll charge a lot more. So if you bought... Uh, a 550 when they came out in 1997, it was what color do you want? By 2001, it was, do you want fender shields? That's an extra 3,000. Do you want powder-coated calipers? That's an extra 3,000. Do you want Daytona stitching on the seats? That's an extra 4,000. Do you want carbon fiber on the dash? It's an extra 5,000. Uh, and today, if you want to buy the latest, greatest Ferrari, which is coming out, which is the Portofino, um, Essentially, Ferrari will not sell you the car unless you spend over $75,000 in options. Think about that for a minute. You That's... can't buy the car unless you spend over 75000 in options. That's sad. Yeah. Mike, we have a couple minutes left. Yeah. I think Alan's got a yeah. quick question for you. I got a quick you. question for you. You got the 330 GT when the ring and pinion wears out, which it will. What do you do? Where do you get parts for all the old stuff nowadays? Well, uh, yeah, okay. There, there, there's a couple of shops that specialize in parts. There's a lot of cars that are being parted out. 
Uh, so you you know you go to people like T. Rutland or you go to um, like Tom Shaughnessy specializes in old parts, but that there's a whole different subject. We are reaching a stage where the mechanics who worked on the old cars are the same age as the owners, <laughs> and they're starting to leave the the, the program. Um, I'm right down the road from Ferrari of Orange County, and if I walk into Ferrari of Orange County Service Department tomorrow morning. They will have about 200, 200 cars in there for service. It's amazing. It is absolutely stunning how many cars they will have there. And at the very, very front, they have one mechanic who is, boy, Paul's got to be in his early 70s, who's been there, you know, he came with the furniture. He's been there for essentially 40 years. And he's the only guy who can work on or will work on a Dino or a Daytona or an F40 or a 288. So we're running into a problem where not only are parts becoming difficult, but the people to work on the cars uh, are becoming harder to find. When I had my 330, I pulled the heads off and everything, and really it's not that hard of a car to work on. They're simple. Just to get parts, though. Yeah, Yeah, getting the parts, that's a trick. Anyway, Mike, we are just about up against the clock here, so I want to thank you for coming on the show. I definitely want to get you back on the show again because one of the questions that I get asked very, very often, and it's too long of a debate, but is what's better, a Lamborghini or a Ferrari? So we'll get that debate the next time. In the meantime, I want to thank my special guest, Mike Sheehan. Don't forget to follow him and check out Ferrari Online. And uh, there's all kinds of uh, cool stories on there. Definitely check it out. Mike, thank you very much. We'll see you at one of the car shows, probably out in California, Monterey, whatever. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And tell your friends. We'll see you at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Thanks for coming in, Alan. Okay, thanks, Robert. See, see you, guys. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. They broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WACF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen.